Welcome to A Cup of Java with Dr. Nava. Today we are going to be discussing the very important construct of emotional intelligence. So our talk today is entitled, So You Want Your Kids to Be Successful? Nurturing and Enhancing Your Children's Emotional Intelligence for Success in Academics and in Life. And so what we'll do is we'll start off with a brief history of emotional intelligence. Then we're going to define what emotional intelligence is. We're going to discuss some different models of emotional intelligence. We'll talk about why is emotional intelligence important? Why do we care? We'll talk about how does emotional intelligence relate to the brain? How do we enhance our children's emotional intelligence in the home? And 10 strategies for how to enhance your own emotional intelligence. All right, so that's the plan for today. Let's see how we can do. So if we start off and we get an item on a emotional intelligence scale and it says, George was sad and an hour later he felt guilty. What happened in between? And the answer choices are A, George accompanied his neighbor to a medical appointment or B, George lacked energy to call his mother and missed calling her on her birthday. So I think many of you would agree that the answer is B, right? We see that George was sad and an hour later he felt guilty because he missed his mother's birthday. So it takes a certain amount of emotional intelligence to recognize why George currently looks upset. So that's just one item of many, many items you might find on an emotional intelligence inventory. But now let's look a little bit at the history of emotional intelligence. And we see that the history of emotional intelligence dates all the way back to the 1930s when Edward Thorndike was studying social intelligence, the ability to get along with other people. In the 1940s, David Wexler was looking at the effective or emotional components of intelligence. In the 1950s, we saw humanistic psychologists like Abraham Maslow, who were describing how people can build their emotional strengths. In 1975, we saw that Howard Gardner introduced the concept of multiple intelligence theories in his book, The Shattered Mind. In 1985, William Payne was introducing the term emotional intelligence in his doctoral dissertation entitled, A Study of Emotion, Developing Emotional Intelligence, Self-Integration, Relating to Fear, Pain, and Desire. In 1987, we learn about Keith Beasley and Ruvain Bar-An using emotional quotient, EQ, as a term. And we learn so much about those two researchers in the field of emotional intelligence as time goes on. In 1990, we saw that Peter Salovey and John Mayer published their landmark article, Emotional Intelligence, in the journal Imagination, Cognition, and Personality. And in 1995, Daniel Goleman, the very famous New York Times best-selling author popularized the concept of emotional intelligence in his book, Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. And finally, in 1996, we saw that the Consortium for Research on Emotional Intelligence in Organizations conducted research to identify emotional and social factors related to job success. And again, we see so much research that's been done on emotional intelligence, even since 1996. So many articles, uh, so many research studies looking at how important emotional intelligence is for future life success. So let's look a little bit more at what exactly is emotional intelligence. 
So if we're going to define it, we're going to look at emotional intelligence as the ability to recognize and manage your own emotions and also the ability to recognize and manage the emotions of others. And when you look at models of emotional intelligence, you see that there are personal competencies uh, that are relevant as are social competencies. So in terms of personal competence, we're talking about how self-aware are you? How well are you able to manage your own emotions? When it comes to social competence, we're asking the questions of how socially aware are you? How aware are you of other people's emotions? And how are you able to manage those relationships with other people? So again, we have personal competence, which relate to self-awareness and self-management, and social competence, which are relevant to both social awareness and relationship management. Okay, so we see that self-awareness plays a really big role in emotional intelligence. In self-awareness, again, it's understanding your own emotions as they occur. Self-management is also really important. How can you use your awareness of your emotions to positively direct your behavior? Then we have social awareness, part of that social competency. How able are you to understand and recognize the emotions of others? And then number four, how able are you to manage those relationships and those emotions of other people? And so Goleman, Daniel Goleman, talks about five key elements of emotional intelligence. Self-awareness is his first element, understanding your own emotions. Number two, self-regulation. How able are you to control your inner emotions? Number three, motivation. What is your general willingness to do something? Number four, empathy. Can you share and recognize others' emotions? Can you place yourself in the shoes of another person? Can you wear their glasses and look at the world from their perspective? And number five, social skills. Can you maintain strong relationships with other people? So these are real key models for emotional intelligence. Now let's look at IQ and EQ or IQ and EI. So your IQ, your intelligence quotient is something that's somewhat static. Whereas EI, your emotional intelligence can change and improve. Your intelligence quotient can change somewhat, but your emotional intelligence can change even more. We see that your emotional quotient is two times as important as IQ and technical skills when it comes to predicting your future life success. So we're talking about a super important construct here. IQ might get you hired, but EQ is what is going to get you promoted out there in the world. Increased EI, increased emotional intelligence enhances your communication and listening skills. It enhances your decision-making skills, your positive interactions with other people, your positive work attitudes, work outcomes, your altruistic behavior, You tend to have higher employee engagement when you have higher emotional intelligence. You tend to be more productive at work. You tend to have lower burnout and lower turnover. And you tend to have lower anger and stress at work and at home when you have higher emotional intelligence. In children, we see that higher emotional intelligence tends to result in more success in school and work and in life, more friendships, greater confidence and self-esteem, greater knowledge of their strengths and of their weaknesses. They tend to be better at conflict resolution when they have higher emotional intelligence. They're better able to manage their stress and their anxiety. They're better able to make decisions. 
and they're better able to show empathy when they have stronger emotional intelligence. EI is also thought to be the strongest predictor of performance in the workplace. So we find that 90% of the top performers in the workplace tend to have higher emotional intelligence. Only 20% of bottom performers tend to have high EI, high emotional intelligence. Whereas average IQs tend to outperform higher IQs 10% of the time. I'm going to say that one more time so it's clear, right? Average IQs only outperform the highest IQs 70% of the time, whereas 90% of the top performers in the world have high EI. People with high emotional intelligence tend to earn at least $29,000 more per year than those with lower EI, and one extra point of emotional intelligence tends to have a $1,300 increase in salary. So we're seeing that emotional intelligence not only is super important for maintaining your job and succeeding at your job, but also for really helping your children in the, in the school system. Okay, so what do we need for having high emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence requires effective communication between two parts of your brain. So let's look at the brain for a second. If you look at the amygdala, which is a central part of your brain, right? It's within that center part of your brain. Um, we know that the amygdala is associated with emotional memory and with emotions. It's often also associated specifically with negative emotions. So the amygdala is within the limbic system, which again relates to emotionality. And then at the very front of your head, you have what's called your frontal lobe. Your frontal lobe is part of your cerebral cortex. You have your frontal lobe. If you go a little further back, you have your parietal lobe. In the back of your head, you have your occipital lobe. And on the sides of your head, you have your temporal lobes. But the frontal lobe is the most complex lobe of your cerebral cortex. And the frontal lobe deals with rationality, okay? And so what tends to happen is when we're in difficult life situations, we tend to have what's called an amygdala hijack. And that's when our emotional brain, when the amygdala within our limbic system tends to hijack the rationality of our frontal lobe. So again, our frontal lobe is associated with those high level, complex, rational emotions and rational behaviors. And when we're in an upsetting situation, we tend to have, again, this amygdala hijack, where our amygdala are, are, uh, tends to hijack our rationality, our frontal lobe, our decision-making, our planning ability, our executive functioning. And this is what can happen when we haven't built up our emotional intelligence. But fortunately, our brains are plastic. We have something called neuroplasticity, which means that our brains have the capacity to develop to grow and to improve in many ways. And so when you exercise a variety of, of emotionally intelligent strategies, you're able to really improve what your brain is able to do and to prevent that amygdala hijack that I just mentioned. You can help enhance the connections between your emotional and rational parts of your brain through these emotionally intelligent strategies. And so we know that emotional intelligence can really evolve it can really improve over time. So let's try to figure out how can we do this? How can we enhance our emotionally intelligent strategies? So first of all, things that you can do at home. 
You can model positive emotions and behaviors for your children. You can be responsive to their emotions and behaviors. Don't just say, oh, you'll feel better tomorrow, but really allow your kids to express their emotions, to express their fears, to express their thoughts. Offer them, what would you do in scenarios? So let them role play different types of scenarios. Help them identify and recognize their own emotions in different situations and how to best cope with those emotions. Play games with them. Have them practice turn-taking. Have them practice winning and losing. Play games with them like Stratego, like chess, like checkers where they can win but they also can try to practice losing and see how that feels and how they can learn to become good losers um, and not sore losers. Uh, Focus on sharing and on negotiating with them. Co-view media with them. When they watch something on TV or they read a book, help them think about what the characters might be going through. How are, how are these characters going through challenges? What emotions might these characters be showing? And how are they showing these emotions well? Or how could they possibly manage situations even better? Okay, so what you can do at home is, again, serve as a great model for them. Tell them that diverse emotions are okay. It's okay to be upset sometimes. It's okay to be sad or frustrated. Try to model self-soothing for them. Give them different verbalizations they can use, different positive self-talk they can use when they might be feeling upset. Try to model for them persistence and staying connected. Instead of becoming socially withdrawn when they're upset, model the importance of social interaction. Number two, Identify and work through their emotions with them. Give them the, the verbiage. Give them the, draw, the opportunity to draw out, to, to offer a picture of what they might be feeling if they can't express it through words. Help them uh, participate in belly breathing. I always like to say, teach kids how to breathe in the roses and blow out the candles. Breathe in the roses, blow out the candles. That's a great way to teach them belly breathing. Have a calm down corner in your home or a, a special place that they can go to that where they feel safe. Give them before or after pictures. Before I was feeling this way and now I'm feeling this way. All right, and here I now, I'm going to give you 10 really, really wonderful strategies to build really strong emotionally intelligent strategies with your kids. Number one, Think about feelings and manage negative emotions. Know your emotional strengths and weaknesses. Consider how your mood affects thoughts and decisions. Stop negative self-talk in its tracks. Separate negative thoughts from actual facts. Try to escape negativity. Consider where you're jumping to the wrong conclusion sometimes. Be the master of your own happiness. Give them the agency to understand that they get to be in charge of their happiness. They get to be in charge of the positive things that go on in their lives. Number two strategy, achieve fluency in your emotional vocabulary. Only 36% of individuals master the language of complex emotions. You may be able to understand happy, sad, scared, but can you understand emotions like being frustrated, being anxious, being nervous, being jealous, Try to help them really understand the complexity of emotions and give them the tools, give them the verbiage that they need to use those more complex emotions in their conversations. And then they may be much better able to deal with them and to address them. 
Number three, demonstrate empathy. Understand people's motivations and what makes them tick. Help them place themselves in the shoes of other people. Help them wear those glasses. Help them try to understand customers' pain points. You yourself in your work might have to exercise empathy all the time when you look at your customers and try to see what the situation might be from their vantage point. Number four, know your stressors and your triggers. Do a self-check-in, do a mood check-in. What comments tend to set you off? Recognize recurring patterns. You might constantly get set off by the same comments again and again. Recognize where you're headed and where you do want to go and where you do not want to go. We're going to experience events as negative if we're already feeling frustrated, if we're already in a bad mood or giving ourselves negative self-talk. So know your stressors and triggers and help them prevent you from getting into that negative space. Number five, keep calm and pause, right? Breathing buddies, count. One, two, three. Watch, lie down on the ground and watch as your breath rises and as it falls. Again, breathe in those roses, blow out those candles, okay? Those breathing exercises really help your brain circuits. It helps reduce stress. It helps your attention levels. It helps with mindfulness, etc. So breathing is incredibly important, especially that belly breathing, okay? And the five last steps, benefit from criticism. Instead of being very offended when someone criticizes you, ask yourself, what can I learn from that criticism? How can I be a better person and improve who I am from this criticism? How can this make me a better person, a better employee, a better parent? Be difficult to offend. Okay, don't let things get to you so incredibly easily. Number seven, praise others and give specific positive feedback. Humans crave appreciation. Praising others builds their trust in you. Focus on their strengths. Instead of focusing on what they can't do, focus on what they do bring to the table. Use specific examples. I love how you gave that example in your presentation. Give them that specific feedback and it will really go a long way. Use the sandwich approach. If you have to give them constructive criticism or constructive feedback, offer a sandwich. Give them positive a positive comment. Put that constructive feedback in the middle of the sandwich and then end with a positive comment as well. Number eight, apologize, forgive, and forget. Do not hold grudges. Take responsibility when you do something wrong. Apologize directly, right? Psychological and psychological benefits of forgiveness are huge. Forgive, forget, take responsibility, apologize. It is so hard to do these things. It is so hard to say sorry. It is so hard to forgive someone. It is so hard to not hold a grudge but you will be all the better for it. Not only will your psychological health benefit from it, but so too will your physical health. Number nine, keep commitments and help other people. Build a strong reputation for being someone who's committed, who's reliable, someone that people can really count on. Consider how your actions will affect other people. Help others without a quid pro quo. It's not always you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Show people that you're willing to help even if you know you're not getting something back in return. Let other people shine, right? Show humility whenever you can. And number 10, record emotions on paper and feel your emotions. 
right? It's super important to be conscious of the emotions that you're feeling. When you're feeling sad, you'll, you'll feel decreased limb sensations in your body. When you feel angry, you're going to have increased limb sensations in your upper limbs. When you're feeling disgust, you're going to have sensations in your throat and in your digestive system. When you're feeling surprise and fear, you're going to have sensations in your chest. And when you're happy, you're going to have wonderful sensations all over your body. So even if you can't decode what emotion you're feeling, try to really be thoughtful about what your body is feeling and where you're feeling sensations. And you'll be able to not only better decode your own emotions, but help your children decode their emotions when they're having a hard time understanding their emotionality. So I wish for all of you, that you practice these emotionally intelligent strategies, not only with yourselves, but with your children in the workplace and in the home. And you will see that so much life success is coming very, very soon, not only to you, but to your wonderful children. Thank you so much for your time. I am signing off and wishing you all a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hope you all enjoyed. Please feel free to share the podcast with your friends and family members, with your parenting groups. Also, feel free to check out my resources for kids at realabilities.com and at drnavisilton.com. You can also check out my brand new comic book series for children. It's entitled Real Abilities, the Omnibus, and it's available at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on Book Baby, at Target, and in a bunch of other locations. It's also been in schools across the country, and kids have really seemed to enjoy them. It teaches about empathy, kindness, and about the beauty of difference. I'm wishing you all an incredible week up ahead. May it be wonderful and may it be meaningful. Thank you so much and all my very best.